You are listening to Mindful in America. I'm your host, Lyra Stone, and I am on my way out of Memphis now. I'm actually not heading too far down the tracks. I'm just going to Oxford, Mississippi, home of Ole Miss and uh, Faulkner's home and a bunch of other kind of neat places. I'm really looking forward to taking a trip down to Mississippi. Um, I've always been impressed with the, the state in general, the people, just the sights, the sounds, the smells. It's actually a really, really wonderful, wonderful state. Um, I think anybody that's like really in the South, this is okay, I'm going to say it. It's our opinions, and I'm sorry for the Alabama folk out there, but um, you know the Mississippi goddamn line? No, no, no. It's Alabama goddamn. Mississippi's actually pretty all right and pretty awesome, at least in my humble experience, and I'm hoping it'll continue to be as I travel through there. Um, I actually had a very good time in Memphis, such a good time, in fact, that I am glad I didn't take to heart uh, some of the kind of prejudice and attitudes I had gleaned from other people who came from Me- like Memphis or had visited Memphis and had kind of sourpuss, you know, uh, perspective on it or experience of it. I actually found Memphis to be lovely. Um, you know, it, it, I wasn't really able to unfortunately explore it like I probably really should have. Um, it, it, it was kind of more intimate and smaller than uh, I realized, like, Beale Street was a nice drag, and it, it was a wonderful place to go to. I actually went to it on Juneteenth, which was completely uh, accidental on my part. Hadn't really thought about it, you know, and um, that was really cool. You know, I just saw a ton of, like, black women come out in their coolest, most beautiful dresses. You know, you had the, um, the Beale Street flippers, you know, flipping along the streets and just kind of jubilance and celebration because, you know, Juneteenth, Juneteenth is a celebration of, of freedom of when the Emancipation Proclamation was enacted, et cetera, and so forth. And people were freed from bondage, from slavery in this country. So as you could imagine, um, in a place like Memphis, it is a very exciting time and there's a lot of neat things going on, a lot of like happy people just having a good time. Um, I liked it. It was neat um, observing it. I went and sang some karaoke and just really, just really had a good experience. My first day in Memphis, just hanging out on Beale Street and going to the absinthe room and, and just drinking a shot and a beer. I had no real interest in absinthe. I'd I'd already done that and it's it's not very pleasant in my mind. It's, to me, it's just like a it's, it's fine when you do it, and I would never, you know, discredit anybody having that experience, but I wasn't interested in absinthe. Um, but, but yes, I had a great time, sang some great music, drank sex on the beach, because I figured, you know, why not have a wild cocktail? And the next day was a little unfortunate in Memphis, because there was some kind of situation with one of their bridges, like a crack or something had occurred, and it was shut down. And so the uh, standstill traffic was just terrible. You couldn't go into the city um, and not be stuck for over an hour. So I looked at my GPS. I kind of assessed, observed, saw how bad it was. And I mean, it was bad. And I was like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to get into the city to, you know, eat some barbecue and, you know, kind of explore the city. So that sort of bummed me out a little. So I stayed on the outskirts just in West Memphis where... um, you know, my hotel was, and I eventually found a poncho's, 
which is a Mexican food restaurant. People usually know them by their cheese dip, and the cheese dip is like really, really good. It's a very delicious cheese dip. It wasn't exactly what I was excited to do. Obviously, I'd gone to Memphis more for the music and the food and the downtown experience, uh, not so much to eat at ponchos. Even if, even if it was like their, I think, original ponchos from the 50s or something. It was a neat building, I guess. Um, I definitely will say I, I loved Memphis. I loved everything about it. It had some really amazing architecture, really amazing cocktails, uh, really amazing just everything. Um, the people were also just very, very, very friendly. Uh, I, I honestly think the only, I, I do understand there is crime in Memphis. That's what people talk about. They talk about there being crime, but I kind of, you know, want to call it out a little bit as being maybe marginally racist because Memphis does have a booming black population. Most of the people I hung out with and talked with were black and I, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe that was where some of the attitudes lie because I, had, I was hard-pressed to figure out what it was, other than that, that would make people not at least care for the downtown. It was, um, it was great. I ended up going to an amazing dive bar. Um, oh, gosh. What is it called? Eustine and Hazel. I probably mispronounced it. Eustine, Eustine and Hazel. That was a trip. It was the first time I had a ghost experience, and I'd never had a ghost experience in my life, ever. Um, I consider myself to be a pretty skeptical person as, you know, I talk to you all about my spirituality and no doubt that'll make you arch an eyebrow. But even in the midst of my spirituality, I like to think at least that I have some pragmatism, quite a bit of it. In fact, I, I usually, I don't like letting my, uh, we'll call it, I guess, whimsy get away with itself or, you know, kind of run away with itself. I don't particularly enjoy the whole brand of, of narcissism where people feel that they're some kind of spiritually touched, you know, clairvoyant or something like that. I know that's strange because I do have spiritual gifts, but these spiritual gifts are things that I worked on, I, I kind of fell into you know, that I, I learned through my mother and her devotion. And it's, it isn't something that somehow I think makes me feel a peg above the rest of people. I think it's more just how I am wired. Um, I'm just a naturally intuitive, kind of creative, more right brain sort of person. And spirituality and creativity lends itself to me because that's just happened to be how my sort of genetic nah, uh, landed. Um, and so I don't think of myself as having some kind of superiority or whatever to others. It's just, to me, it's just how my, my cards are. It's just how my, my genetics or whatever you want to call it sort of manifested. And, um, going in there, however, and having that ghost experience was very strange because there's, of course, still a part of me that can always justify it away. And, and maybe those justifications are valid. Maybe the whole thing is just kind of ludicrous. But it was odd. And I, I've never, like, 
for the record. I I ran a, a, a business similarly to the dive bar for five, six years. And in that whole time, I've never encountered this. And I'll get to the go ahead and the ghost story part. But first, I probably should say uh, the dive bar I went into had an upstairs. It had like a hallway with old doors that evidently are used to be. And this is all, you know, pretty, I guess, well documented. I don't think it's just... Um, mythology. It's not old enough in some ways to just be legend. Uh, the upstairs was, they, the, the building itself was owned by these two women, kin of sorts. They had a husband. He ran a lot of the kind of like black blues bars, etc. around town. And um, I'm trying to recall what Ezra told me. And, you know, it was a beauty salon upstairs. And it was also, I think, kind of up until I think the 90s, they said, a bit of also a brothel and kind of like a half a part-time brothel it sounds like you know there there's some references to brown sugar perhaps that being um its origin that, that story about brown sugar and whatnot so it's got this interestingness to it you know this brothel story to it and um going upstairs i didn't know you know if i was supposed to be up there or not i just as I was exploring the building, because the building was very gnarly, you go inside and it's definitely like an old, old building, and it's kind of dim, and the ceilings are a little low in the back, and there's, there's a little bit of dilapidation going on, and going up the steps, it's got metal railing and, you know, worn steps, and a little bit crooked, uh, not straight, excuse me, and, um, and so you get to the hallway area and you just look around and there's graffiti, nothing to, you know, write home about. I, I kind of like exploring abandoned areas. I've done it most of my life. I've never looked for ghosts or whatever. It's never been, I, I mostly just see it as, oh, this is interesting. I could see why people would think it's creepy because it's abandoned and old. Uh, but I've never felt ghosts ever, um, except for that day. It was very just, it made me feel uneasy in a way I hadn't felt before, like I was walking on eggshells or something. It just was an uneasiness. And um, like maybe before you hear some bad news. And of course I felt like I was being watched. Something was watching me. And these are all, you know, common things people say when they encounter ghosts. And I guess I can confirm that that was how I felt. I felt like I was being watched and I felt kind of uneasy. And I go back downstairs and I talk to Ezra, the bartender, who is a wonderful man that I'll talk a little more about later. And I asked him, you know, is this place haunted? And, you know, evidently a ton of people talk about how it's haunted. This is a, a very common thing about Hazel's, about this bar. And he sort of told me some stories about the jukebox. He's like, well, the jukebox is haunted. And, and he kind of was a little like me, I think, when it came to his attitudes towards um, ghost stories. He's like, it could be, it could be not. Here's what I've experienced. And he's only been working there a couple months. But even so, you know, a lot of things fall down. He talked about how he had a girlfriend who went upstairs. And I always feel, when I hear people's stories, I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to, like at least believe them to a certain degree why would they be lying you, what what some people of course like to aggrandize and like feel special and significant and they'll make up things just to feel cool they're lame and they're pretty easy to spot in my mind but you know he obviously loved this woman he obviously trusted this woman I can't see any reason why she would you know change the story just for dramatic whatever but she was upstairs and 
basically she just was she heard a conversation there was a conversation going upstairs but nobody was upstairs you know and she looked for the television set she looked for what it could be that was you know having this conversation and she could hear it just hear it like right over in one of those doorways and she went over to it and it the conversation went away and then she like walked away from it and the conversation continued and it just got her it gave her a very uncomfortable kind of probably the same feeling I had and he had the jukebox too and he's like no this has happened a lot he described how like a young woman came in and asked if they had any 80s songs and uh you know the jukebox would just randomly then play an 80s song or um there was an example where they were complaining about having a slow night and how it was really bad and then the jukebox you know switched on a song of called silent night and you know just kind of a feeling of haha the jukebox is funny and it'll just randomly play music even though there's no coins in it there's no reason it's one of those very old old jukeboxes you know that uh has like marvin gay in it and etta james and things like that that you'd expect you know in memphis and so he was just describing those things. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Well, I definitely have to tell you, I've never felt anything quite like this. And it is strange. So we go outside. I bum a cigarette with him and whatever. We chat. We have a wonderful conversation. He's a really, really neat guy. And I end up leaving. I go over to a place called, um, uh, it's called Something in Sand. It was just down the the same street at this beautiful hotel and it was kind of an art deco style very high 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 ceilings it was a gorgeous gorgeous setup it had a bunch of vinyl records but in this very posh like display on this giant wall that went all the way up to the ceiling I mean the place was was really pretty and the cocktails were very like you know high-end and um, you know 12 15 dollars I would say on average for a cocktail and, and the space was beautiful, too. And so I sat there, and I just kind of enjoyed myself, talked to my friend Jamie for a while on my phone, and, and just sort of, you know, enjoyed the experience. And again, Memphis just struck me as such a very a fascinating, and I, that place was very classy place. And it had a very unique, original vibe to it, um, something that was just kind of uniquely its own. I enjoyed it. I got up. I ended up leaving. I met a different man at a different place. Um, or He was absolutely wonderful. I met a, a kind of proud father. He was watching the TV screen when I came in of uh, some track and field Olympic tryouts. And he was so excited because apparently his both his kids were, you know, top athletes. And they both of them, and he has two others, but, you know, the two eldest, they were going on to get their PhDs. I think the son had already achieved one, and he, he was doing cancer research. And the daughter was going to be a trained therapist, um, clinical psychologist, or something like that. You know, just very proud daddy. And he knew a lot of the people in the Olympics tryouts because of, of his kids being in track and field. And, you know, he was just a very accomplished um, hard-working, earnest man, and he, you know, we talked for quite a while about what life was like for him growing up in New Orleans, uh, systemic racism, because, you know, he was black, and he was just kind of talking about how great it was to see his kids sort of finally achieve the American dream in a way that was very hard in his generation, etc., and, and just, I enjoyed having a very honest, candid conversation with him about just 
what all's going on. And he, he was just a great person. I felt very inspired talking to him. And I've, I've just loved my trip for that reason. The kinds of conversations I get into have been such a blessing. The kinds of people I encounter, I mean, that's what it is. You know, any trip, it's, it's the people that really make it. And of course the views, and of course the music, and of course the food, and everything else. But man, oh man, the people. I'm always just blown away by how just touching their stories are and how inspiring so many people are in the U.S. And me trying to be mindful, like this podcast and, you know, web series, everything else is all about, has helped me, I think, appreciate it even more because I try to be in the moment. I try to really just take it as it comes and digest it. You know, I had a very... I guess you'd call it grounding, humbling experience when I went to High Cotton Brewery uh, yesterday. And I was sitting down having a beer and whatnot, and my brother called, and I don't really talk to my brother that often. You know, I hadn't probably talked to him in over a month. And, you know, I, I, I have, which I guess you'd call a little bit of a tragic childhood of sorts you know this is pretty common I think for abuse survivors they have really dysfunctional things normalized to them and then they go on to repeat those dysfunctional things in their intimate partners it's like wow that's I'm very predictable character in my own story but you know he called because he wanted to make sure I knew it was Father's Day and I knew it was Father's Day and I'd already made the choice not to contact our father. And, you know, that's complicated in that. It wasn't for any spiteful reason. It was simply, I didn't see the need to. It wasn't going to make anybody feel good. I, 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 it would have interrupted his day and he would have been frustrated that he had to delay work. And it wouldn't make me feel good as well. I, I really don't think any of it would have done well he he needs to focus on what he needs to focus on and I need to focus on what I need to focus on I don't need to pursue any kind of real conversation with my father and um, I try my hardest not to go there mentally or spiritually I I've tried to just kind of make my peace with what it is and who he is and what my childhood was like and 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 try to make sure it doesn't shape me in any sort of unpleasant ways ever again. Um, I never, ever want to um, ever end up in a situation where I allow someone else to violate me, violate my body, uh, overtake my mind and my energy simply because I was kind of pre-programmed and conditioned by a parent to accept that, to just believe that that was okay and I'm not blaming him for it I'm not blaming anybody for anything because in my mind it's it's in the past now and I can't do anything about what my dad chose to do and I can't do anything about what my abuser chose to do um, all I can do is what I choose and I choose to do what makes me happy and what's going to be best for me. And I'll tell you one thing, my father did not do what was best for me when I was a child. 
Um, I, my, my welfare was not a priority of his. And I will not sugarcoat that or, you know, change it into something it isn't. And I think that would be where my brother and I can get into conflict because he wants to alter certain realities to make himself feel better. And people alter realities all the time. It's what we do. We like to change things to narrations to just make life easier. And uh, that's fine. He can say that we went to Cotton Candy Mountain every Sunday. Um, I don't. I, I don't see why that, in any ways, has to affect my own experiences. And I would rather look at the truth, and as much as I can understand it, and accept that over the much harder to maintain BS of maintaining a lie. I've watched my abuser do it the whole time I was in a relationship with him create and manifest lies and run with them and it's exhausting because I became a part of those lies and I had to maintain those lies as well and now that I don't have to do that anymore I'll be damned if I spend another second even sitting down at a table of of those kinds of weavings I'm not weaving that anymore I I tap out y'all I've tapped out So anyway, that happened, and, you know, it was kind of a sobering moment, (laughs) as I'm drinking a beer, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to let that get me down, and I continued throughout my day, and when I went back to the dive after I got done with the wonderful conversation with the father of the two athletes who went on to get PhDs, et cetera, and so forth, and... After that wonderful conversation, I I went back to the dive and I sat down. I I talked to Ezra a bit more, who, again, a great guy. He's a DJ at a local radio station in Memphis. He loves his city. Um, Very efficient, great bartender, um, a freelance journalist, just an all, like, all-around awesome dude, you know, just awesome. And I liked talking to him, you know, before it got busy about kind of his love of Memphis. We didn't go into any specific details per se, but it was nice to talk to somebody who just clearly loved his town and, you know, who, who had a good, he, he kind of would scoff even when I hinted about, well, you know, these people have these comments and he's like, that's silly. That's, that's just people trying to get street cred and, you know, trashing. And he had some valid points and it, it really is nice to talk to someone who has, a clear love of their city because it makes you want to fall in love with it too. Uh, even though it wasn't that hard for me to do that at all. So after we got done talking, uh, I had to go pee. So I went to go pee and that was where the ghost story happened. And I wasn't looking for it or anything. In fact, coming back into the brewery or the bar, excuse me, I, the uneasiness was gone. I didn't feel it anymore. So I kind of felt like, oh, okay, Oof, whatever that was, it's done now. Um, I will say, though, that when I went back upstairs in the hallway, the first time I went to the, to the dive bar, I did pull out my tarot and kind of ask around, like, hey, like, what's, what's going on here? And um, I did get the hanged man, and it turns out one of them did, in fact, hang himself um, in that <laughs> building. So I was like, okay, well, noted, noted, uh-huh, um, which does sound a real, too surrealist almost to say, but that really is accurate. That's what happened. Um... But I went to the bathroom because, you know, had to pee. And the, the light was on in the women's bathroom. And it, 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 I sensed someone was in there. So I stopped and, you know, I waited as one is prone to do when they're wanting to use the bathroom. 
and you know the men came one of the men came out of the men's bathroom and he walked by and I heard the sink in the women's bathroom turn on and I was like okay she's washing her hands all right it's almost time and I'm like getting ready because I kind of have to pee and nobody's coming out and I'm getting a little antsy and weirded out so the door is unlocked and for whatever reason I decide to just check I'm like man this, like, the sink just keeps running is she okay so I sort of crack the door open just a little like to just kind of peek like, I'm not looking at you pee I swear and, um, and then I opened it a bit more because I realized nobody was in there there was nobody in the bathroom but the sink was going on full blast like and I, I heard it go, turn on too and it's, it's not one of those, um, like, you know, it's one of those twist sinks. So I had to twist it to shut it off and twist it for quite a while to shut it off because it was turned on full blast. And it, that was very weird because I've never, ever, 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 ever gone into a bathroom in any kind of establishment. And there weren't many people in the dive bar, um, Hazel's dive bar, or Ernstine and Hazel's dive bar. Uh... And, and I don't even know if there had been a woman that had used the bathroom yet. And even if she had, nobody does that to the sink. Nobody is that big of a jackass. We're all pretty environmentally conscious. None of us would do that. I've never seen it, leaving the sink on like that. And also hearing the sink turn on. It was all just very wild. <laughs> and, and, you know, the creepy sensation of being watched again started kind of rising inside of me. But by this point, I'm like, is this just paranoia? But I did get annoyed and as I turned off the sink. because, And I said in a very defiant voice that was definitely more brave than I felt, you know, you ain't cute. You ain't cute. And I still peed. I was like, you know what? You're not going to stop me from using the restroom. I am going to keep doing it. Nope. Uh, you think you're so cute. You ain't cute. Um, so that was my ghost story. Not exactly riveting, but I'd never experienced that before where a sink was turned on um, and nobody was there. That was strange. And I told uh, Ezra and he, he, he kind of confirmed. He's like, that's happened to me too, where the sink's been turned on. And yeah, that is just, that's just not, I've never seen that in a bar. So unless somebody can come up with some kind of argument about pipes, and, and it is an old building, but I don't know how like, the dial would have been twisted like it was uh, by pipes. I, I cannot think of anything other than the supernatural. Like, and again, it's, it's the feeling that makes you believe. Um, it's just this, this feeling of, I don't know, um, like your foot when you're skipping a step on the stairs, as I think is how I described it to Ezra. Um, you know, it's just, it's a very unique feeling. So that was my ghost story and it was very interesting. And I ended up going to the hotel after having a great time. I talked to this wonderful couple that was from DC. They were great. You know, again, just schmoo, 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 schmooze, enjoying the city, doing my thing in Memphis. Um, having a burger. The burger was delicious. And I finally went back to my hotel. And I will say, I felt like I carried some of that with me. It felt very odd. And I slept in my bed and I was very self-conscious of the fact that they had put a mirror right at the foot of my bed. So I just felt like I had a portal just facing me as I was going to sleep. And then I had like a really weird, weird, kind of disturbing dream. And the whole thing was just like, oh, la, 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 la. It took me a while to shake it all off. 
Um, so of course, what do you do the next day after having kind of a supernatural experience? You have to go to a witchcraft store. I had not been to a witchcraft store since my trip, and I really felt I needed to grab some quote-unquote provisions because I had not done a very good job as far as protection was concerned, making sure that I was looking after my mind and my spirit. And after almost two weeks now on the road, I felt it was time to, to start putting in some of those boards. And the witchcraft store looked really adorable. It was called Broom Closet, and it actually extended very far back, much further back than I realized. I liked the people that worked there. They were very nice people. And um, they had a lot of products. They had some really nice products. So I grabbed some bracelets, you know, that for protection. I've got a red one, um, an onyx, and um, a green one, you know, heart chakra, root chakra, and protection, things like that. Um, I also got some, some thing, an herb blend that you can either smoke or drink. Um, I met a girl, a woman there. Her name was Erin. And she, Erin um, huh. handed the herbal section and I asked her for some kind of blend for, for, for dream travel, like dreamscape work. Because I, I do do a lot of lucid dreaming and whatnot. And much of my practice in some ways as a witch or whatever would be probably centric to uh, dream stuff. And so I asked her for a tea. She got me a really neat blend. I haven't looked at all the ingredients. I know that, that mullen is in it, you know, mullen's in a lot of things. Um, yeah, I, I can't look at it right now, but it, I got about an ounce of that and I'm excited to use that. I also got some Florida water air freshener slash spray, so, which I thought was just great, especially because I smell so much on this trip. You know, you don't, you, you don't get the greatest of hygiene when you're traveling uh, all the time. You know, I feel like I've, I'm just not going to be clean, <laughs> like fully and completely clean probably up until I maybe visit my mother and father um, in Florida. But um, I also, this is where it kind of got a little interesting, I asked her about her figurines because um, I've been aware of as far as like deities are concerned or I don't know I don't even know if I should talk about um, the deity specifically I kind of feel very like I want to not brag about her or anything like that I don't think she'd like that um, but she and I have kind of been chilling just just and I asked her specifically about one of the statues about her and um she, you know, explained some things and we talked for a little bit and I, I asked her to do me a tarot reading because I knew that she did tarot work. So we went in the back to do tarot and, um, it just was interesting because, um, it felt like there was some synchronicity, so to speak, when I, um, met her and she definitely, we read the cards and she was, she, she was definitely of, of the camp and the mindset that I should talk to the deity because of she 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 was offering some things and I found it interesting and I enjoyed the card reading I always enjoy having tarot cards read it was the first time I had my cards read since on the trip um, I probably won't get them read again until New Orleans um, I liked chatting with her uh, she had pretty good intuition and just was in general a nice person. 
uh, kind of stern, I would say, in some some regards. I mean, I, it's it's funny when you're talking to somebody who uses intuitive, quote unquote, magic, and you yourself, you know, if you had to be in a branch, would probably fall into some of that path as well. And you're kind of watching her be intuitive while you're being intuitive to her intuitive, and it can almost be kind of a wild circle in and of itself because I can have a pretty good. Um, Front, I guess you'd call it, you know, like the ego self. I, anybody who's gone through a lot of trauma, a, a lot of us will use like kind of wit and whatnot to deflect because we can't get close to people uh, owing to what happened. And so I've definitely done that for a, a while in my life. That's just kind of my default in general, kind of Kurt Vonnegut my way through things. But, um, which can be very frustrating, I think, to intuitive people who are very serious about stuff. Um, because I, I can probably break their concentration. With me, it's never broken my concentration to do that. Um, I actually often, I think that my gift can be I can keep it really light and, and laugh a whole lot with people, kind of keep it on that surface, while my intuition is just spazzing. And I'm picking up all sorts of crazy vibrations sometimes, you know. I, I'm also one of those people, I'm very honest about sometimes I do get weird things. And mostly, other times I don't. I just don't really get much anything. And that's why sometimes when I talk to tarot readers or persons who do spiritual work, I, I, I just want to ask them, how do you just channel it like that? How do you do that? I don't have the ability to just summit these things. It either is happening or it's not happening. And she read my cards and she told me some interesting things from her deity that she felt was needed to probably be expressed. And it was a it was it was a good reading and I walked away with some nice goodies for my trip. And so I think it was a good way to kind of end it in Memphis. I did go, of course, afterwards to um, a barbecue joint. I went to the one that's pretty popular. I actually went to like one of the big, big popular ones. I think it's Central Barbecue. I probably should have gone to one of like the other more local ones, but I really didn't have time. She wanted me to go to, to one that was kind of like 15 miles outside of the city. And I just, I, I was like, you know, I just want to walk right up the road and the barbecue was great I had a, some ribs and some mac and cheese and some green beans and you know just just did it right did it Memphis style and it, it was it was really good so I finally got my barbecue which was a big big chapter of what anybody has to do when they're in Memphis and for those like listening in who would like to check out the city I definitely suggest you do I again don't know where people get off with these ideas. There are so many neat places. I was kind of bummed because of COVID and whatnot. A lot of places are shut down. They have odd hours and, you know, everything's understaffed. It's still a very strange environment to be in, you know, in 2021 when I'm making this podcast. And there was one place I really wanted to go to. It was in the quote unquote Victorian section. I can't remember its name. Um, but it looked really neat. It was in a Victorian home. There were so many kind of neat places I would have loved to have explored while there. And they have um, all sorts of exciting things to do. I did not see much of Memphis. I really only scratched the 
barest of surfaces and most of it was mostly hanging out in the dive bars and the kind of quote-unquote party sections I will not lie about that I I did not you know see museums or anything like that I I mostly just went to really fun establishments and had a beer with people and spaced it out a whole lot um, I learned my lesson on Beale Street <laughs> the next day. I'm really, 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 really good at, um, I guess you could call it pacing myself. I, the alcohol is kind of secondary to me in lieu of meeting people. And that's my major agenda is to simply meet people and look at neat things. Uh, but yes, go to Memphis. Memphis has an th- amazing, thriving culture. I loved it. Uh, even with the bridge shut down and all the, and, and driving through West Memphis, I will say there were definitely some like spots where I was like, man, this is, this is a little, this is a little ramshackle for sure. Um, you know, it's a pretty sprawling big city. Uh, there does seem to be a lot of kind of working class folk in Memphis. I don't see that as a problem at all. I, I think working class people make some of the best everything. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that is a sign that the city is no good. Um, quite the opposite, in fact, depending on, you know, the crime problem. And that's what Memphis, unfortunately, does have some issues with. They do have crime. I think in the northern section, I think is what I heard people say. And, you know, in Knoxville's no different, um, in, in some ways, Knoxville has its crime, and I actually live in a section that's just a little ways off of a pretty serious crime area, and it's funny because it's like with any city, just don't go venturing down that street, and you ought to be, you ought to do just, you'll be fine, um, don't, don't be an idiot, it's not to say that bad things don't just simply happen because sometimes bad things do just simply happen. You cannot, you know, prevent a attack or, you know, somebody who was attacked in Asheville in a very popular and happening hip, you know, quote unquote safe spot. And, you know, I have permanent scar to prove it. Um, you can't really ever predict bad things. Um, with that said, I, I, I felt very safe in Memphis. Um, I met some of the, the kindest, most mature, neatest, most intelligent people on my trip there. And I, I kind of did like um, that I got to experience, I think, black culture on a level I hadn't gotten the chance to experience uh, because it just, you know, there, it was a thriving black cultural area. Um, and I loved it. You know, everything was, there, there was plenty of sections, you know, where people were very friendly, uh, and you didn't feel maybe that kind of tension that one might feel in some situations. I, I could def well, that's not true. In ponchos, I felt it because I, it was a little bizarre. I felt kind of like white prejudice there a little bit. All the patrons were white, all the staff was black, and it felt a little weird, just a little off-stepped. Um, I don't know how to explain that. Sometimes you just feel it. You know, in karaoke place, I was the only white person. I didn't, I didn't, 
it, everybody was great. Um, <laughs> like everyone was great. I, I ended up making friends with the DJ. He bought me a free drink. I met this really nice woman who had an amazing voice and she danced and I, it, it, it was the same as any other night. Um, but yeah, I could, I could see why people would feel if you weren't used to maybe, um, being, I guess you can say a racial minority, that would be an adjustment. Like, but I think it's a, I think it's a racist reason to not enjoy yourself or to use it as a negativism because it's not a negativism. Um, people were incredibly friendly and I learned a lot and I had a fabulous time and I liked that I got to kind of experience um yeah as I said black community black culture in a way I hadn't really gotten the opportunities to before so ultimately I give it an A plus all around um every it, it just it was it was a wonderful experience everybody should go down there to Memphis moving on though I am now on my way to Oxford, Mississippi. I am in Mississippi. M I crooked letter, crooked letter I, hunchback, hunchback I. That's how I used to say it when we were like kids. Um, Mississippi. And I'm looking forward to Oxford. I really, really, really am. I think it's going to be probably a bit of a, a breath of fresh, maybe not breath of fresh air. I think I'm a relief in some ways to kind of be outside of, of major cities for a little bit. I think Oxford's a little smaller, it's a little more of a college town. And I am used to college town. That's where I'm from. I'm from a college town. And I kind of like the ambiance of college towns. They, um, they're quaint and they still have culture and fun things to do, but they're not quite as intense as a more larger, like more major cities can be. So I'm looking forward to being in Oxford for that reason. I can't wait to uh, see Faulkner's home. I'm not going to lie. I've not really read anything by Faulkner other than um, what everybody's read. That short story called, I think, A Rose for Emily. About the woman that's sleeping in the bed with the dead husband. Uh, did he write trifles? I can't even remember. Um, probably not. Maybe. But the point is, is I don't really know Faulkner that well. Uh, certainly not enough to know whether he's a great author or not. I tried to read of Sound and Fury, I think it's called, and I mostly got confused. I was very young. I think I was attempting to read something. It was way past my comprehension level, but I remember trying to read through it and going, huh, this is weird. <laughs> this is a very strange sentence structure, very strange rhythm. Um, I'll probably read a little bit of his works when I'm there in, in Oxford to get a feel for, I don't know, him. I'll probably visit his home. He... You know, he, he is an American legend. I know a lot of great authors have come from Mississippi. And I'm kind of hoping to, if y'all if could send out some, I don't know, wooey, spiritual, intentional vibes for me. And just be like, hey, give her inspiration or something. Because I would, of course, love to meet a writer there. I think meeting a writer in Oxford would be such great kismet. It's, it's what I would really like to do as a person who is aspiring to be a writer who has kind of made it a very strong mission of hers to be an author, to start getting her work out there, to really start to like push and make that um, a part of my, my lifestyle, my, my focus. I, I still don't quite know how I'm going to or how I'm going to make it work, but that seems to be the direction my life is taking me. And, um, yeah, more and more on this trip, that's been where my mind keeps venturing. 
to what it was originally um, that I wanted to be a writer and that's what I've always wanted to be and that's what I probably should continue to pursue even in my tarot card reading Erin um, she she focused she mentioned that she said you're successful and you've accomplished many things that I think many people would see as success and you know I thought about it and I'm like yeah sure you know that's that does track um, in terms of some things I have achieved those it doesn't feel that way inside internally but yeah sure and some levels I guess I have and, um, you know, but she said, these are not, of course, the accomplishments that you want. Because the accomplishments I want to accomplish are much, I think, harder, more unattainable in my mind. Um, it comically doing the things that I've done, and many of those things I think people would have been very impressed by or coveted and wanted for themselves. It, it's funny, I in some ways achieved them because I didn't take them as seriously uh I guess I always considered them the second prize the runner-up trophy because what I always wanted to be was a writer and I knew that I was I was just too afraid to, to pursue it I didn't want to fail at the thing that mattered the most to me and I feel very vulnerable saying that even um but I realized, at one point I finally realized that writing or any, any art, any pursuit, I think people think of art as something that you just naturally have a talent for or you naturally don't. And I will agree in some capacities with that. I, I'm a singer. And let me tell you, I'm, a, I, I'm just a naturally good singer. I've always been a naturally good singer. I've sang since I was, as soon as I could learn to talk. Uh, I think my first performance was at two. And I've always sang. And I'm great. And some of that is completely natural. I, I, I just have this natural ear. I hear it. Um, I perform it. But let me tell you, I've also been trained my entire life in singing. How to properly breathe. How to properly project. How to properly do this, do that, do that, the other thing. I've taught it. I've ingested it. And, you know, it didn't come without incredible hard work. And the same thing can be said, I think, for any art. Um, I've watched artists, like visual artists, and where they started out and where they are now, and it really made me realize, yes, there's some natural ability there, but it takes, it's just like anything. You have to work at it, and I mean work at it. Even if you do have a natural ability like I did with singing, you still have to work, work, work if you want to get anywhere with it. Um, and I kind of realized that with my writing, um, the sudden dawning comprehension of I've worked hard at it. I've written articles and I've written every day and, you know, whatnot. I stopped doing it when I was in an abusive situation. My abuser literally just stripped me down to nothing. I kind of, of course, like I have to own my own responsibility, but it fascinates me how every part of me that I loved that he claimed to like just just got squashed and me going back to it now and finding my voice especially through the creative writing has been like very cathartic for me but fuck cathartic I'm not interested in making this some kind of growing exercise 
I want this to be my ambition and I want this to be a success. I want to be successful in it. And it's funny how um, I can be woo and light all day and talk about chakras and Palo Santo and whatnot, but in the end, I have a striving and strong desire to be uh, successful and to achieve what I set my mind to and to conquer those that would oppose me and stand as obstacles against me. And uh, that's been the part of me that I've been kind of wrestling with recently and thinking about and trying to kind of merge inside of me this kind of um, duality of self, the self that wants to be self-loving, self-forgiving, kind and light, and the other part of me that understands that what I want, however, is to wield the sword and to go after what I choose to pursue. And with what happened to me, I, 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 I gave my sword to someone else, basically. I, I didn't give my sword to someone else, but I let them wield it against me. And um, I let them do so many unspeakable, horrific things in the name of what I perceived to be love. And it was... I did not understand the rules of the game. Um, I was so confused by it, so taken over by these dark forces. And here's the glorious news, I think, that any survivor can tell you if they've pushed through for long enough. Um, you can... The game's never over. You, you just understand the rules better. You can win anything you set your mind to. You can succeed in anything you set your mind to. You have to work hard. And you have to make sacrifices to do it. But um, what's been a kind of weird situation for me as I've been moving forward is understanding that I have to get to know myself again before I do anything, hence the trip. But I don't, I don't need to bow to anyone to feel like I'm being kind or soft. I want to be kind and soft while also being strong and having good boundaries. And um, it was nice having that tarot reading because it helped me see that focus. Tarot readings are good for that. Uh, definitely be discerning about who you speak to. I will say that. When I was in Chicago, I looked at this one woman. Nope. Didn't vibe with it. Didn't want it. Um, this woman was nice. And I, I trusted her word. I mostly think that she it's probably just interceding for that deity that just I think I probably should have a conversation with <laughs> uh, not to be mysterious because I really do think when it comes to deities or whatever if you are quote-unquote pagan um, or witchy or whatever I really think that's a very personal thing and um, I like to be secretive about that stuff anyway uh, this has been an odd woo podcast, but I hope y'all enjoyed it as I rambled and thought through some of my internal thoughts. Uh, check out Memphis. I hope to have a great time in Oxford. Can't wait to tell you about it. And have a great day. You've been listening to Mindful in America.